0: Chapter 3 Sojourn. We'd left out of Beaumont in the middle of the night, me, Willie, and Grace. The old bus station on Pine stunk like something that had gone sour. We couldn't tell anybody we were leaving town. That meant not saying goodbye to my grandparents, Woody and Babe, along with Clyde and the Luthers. We'd just left everything in that rent house the furniture and most of our belongings. It was all bought on time anyway. At first, it felt, at first, it felt exciting like the man from UNCLE, but once the bus pulled out of town, reality began to set in. Willie was reading her book, A Tale of Two Cities. She kept reading out loud to let people know how smart she was. But from the look of the other travelers, I don't think anybody even knew who Charles Dickens was. Willie was book smart and always had her nose in one. She had read all the classics and could tell you all about London and Paris, even though she had never set foot outside East Texas. We were en route to Jackson, Mississippi, where Grace had a job teaching school. She'd gotten a helping hand from her old college roommate, Liz Dupree, whose family was from there. Willie sat between me and Grace. Do you think they have a zoo in Jackson? Grace looked pretty in one of her new Christmas dresses. Babe shopped at all the best stores in Beaumont, and whenever Grace would have one of her nervous breakdowns, Babe would go on a shopping spree. You could always tell when Grace had had one of her rough patches by the way we all started looking like magazine ads. Babe's remedy was to hit all the stores, Grace could make almost any outfit look like a million. I wish I'd gotten her head of natural blonde hair, but it wound up instead with that fine Luther mop. I'm sure they must. Most big cities have a zoo. Do they have a library? Grace laughed. It felt good to hear her laughing again. Doesn't everybody have a library? Willie was satisfied and went back to her book, mouthing the words out loud with authority. I would never admit it, but I liked to hear her read. The sky was an uncommon blue over the sunrise that morning. I watched a duck soar over the skyline, and I was struck by his grace. His long neck caught the air like a ballerina dancing on a stage. I pulled out my binder and sat there with it on my lap for a minute. I liked the texture of it on my legs. It always felt good to have my writing near me. Holding on to it made me feel strong, like I'd figured out an answer. I pulled my lucky black Bic ballpoint out of the ring and opened it up. The first page read, Captured Bride by Jody Luther. I began to write in the notebook. Emma rode through the lowlands, looking back ever so often for the Texas Rangers. They'd been hot on her trail for two days and were sure to capture her if she didn't reach Louisiana by nightfall. Her prospects were slim to none and her body was tired. She was hungry and couldn't remember when she had eaten her last meal. Suddenly, a flock of mallards broke through the heavens above her. The sight of them was something regal to behold. They flew in the shape of an arrow, those ducks, pointing her towards freedom. She felt the strength she needed to press onward. She dug her boot heels into Renegade, who tore along the trail, scaring up a cloud of yellow dust in his wake. Renegade's hooves hit the ground in rhythm with her own heartbeat. She rode him hard and gripped the reins tight next to her body. It was as if renegade, sensed the danger, and needed no cue. He broke through his best gallop and moved east like the wild wind. Emma knew somehow they would make it to wherever they were going. I touched the pen to my lips and tasted the ink in my mouth. I felt like writers feel. The early sun reflected off the tin signs along the roadside and glared across my eyes. New Iberia, Louisiana, birthplace of the world-famous Tabasco sauce. Visit St. Martinsville, home of Longfellow's Evangeline. I looked at the pictures on the placards and wondered who'd painted them. That's the kind of art I enjoyed looking at. The red-orange sunrise was the exact same color as the Tabasco. The sound of the hand mic woke me up from an almost nap. The driver had peppered the whole trip with intermittent travelogue commentary. Seemed like every time I'd nearly get to sleep he'd have something to say about one of the towns we drove through. He referred to Crowley with a long o like the bird. He had warned us about the Bro Bridge Crawfish Festival, where people would pass out drunk and be stacked up on top of one another out in the road. He said it made it hard to drive a bus through Bro Bridge at that time of year. Baton Rouge had better étouffée than New Orleans, if you wanted his opinion, but you had to know where to go. He said he'd be glad to tell you in private, but couldn't say over the airwaves due to legal reasons. Lafayette used to be called Vermilionville after the river, but they renamed it after a real Frenchman. He added that if you wanted to see some kind of a river sometime, that was the one you wanted to visit. Even though it was only late afternoon, the city of New Orleans was already lit up in a neon glow. As the whoosh of air escaped the brake system, our coach pulled to a stop. The driver, who looked like Earl Holloman, picked up his hand mic and said, folks, we are going to be laid over for three hours here in the city of New Orleans. He called it New Orleans. This will give you Jackson bound riders an opportunity to stretch your legs in this historic venue and try some of her world famous cuisine. He replaced the mic and rubbed his belly. Grace stood up out of her seat and smoothed the wrinkles from her rose pink dress. Willie said, boy, I sure am hungry. Can we go eat at one of those New Orleans restaurants? She jumped up out of her seat. I looked around to make sure nobody was looking at us and turned toward Willie. You know we're on a budget and can't afford anything expensive. Grace said, I think we can make an exception this once, Jody. Let's go see if we can have a little fun. We've got to eat. I'd never been to New Orleans and the terminal was huge. It was much larger than the one in Beaumont and worldly in comparison. I hadn't seen many bus stations, but I bet this one was as big as New York City's. A flickering tube light illuminated travelers caught mid-journey. The hard plastic seats looked plenty uncomfortable where some of the passengers were trying to get some sleep. I thought I heard the sound of a full swing party with drums and horns. It might have been my imagination, though, because once we were outside, I didn't hear it anymore. We ventured into the streets of the city in search of a restaurant. It felt strange, lonely, and big. A lounge stood on one corner with a sign that read, Sam's Crazy Corner. Something made me glance over at Grace, but she didn't even look at the bar. She just kept walking. Willie took a hold of her hand. This place looks like a movie, she said. I had to agree. I'd seen the movies and heard that song, House of the Rising Sun. I like the animals version with the Vox Connie organ music terrifying like a wild, bad wind. I was thinking about that song as the three of us walked up and down those mysterious streets looking for somewhere we could eat. The dwellings made me think about voodoo and black magic, but there was also a specialness about this town that pulled at me as well. I could understand how the person in the song had fallen into a life of tragedy. I think we made a wrong turn, Grace said, pulling her matching handbag next to her. The driver said to try the French Quarter area, but I don't see anything that looks very French. An obvious prostitute stood on the corner smoking a cigarette. I could tell she was a prostitute, even though I'd never seen one in real life, but I'd seen plenty of them at the Gayland Theater across the street from Woody and Babe's house. Excuse me, miss. Grace started walking toward the lady who was standing under a street lamp. The light was on, even though it was broad daylight. Grace was still holding on to Willie with one hand and her purse with the other. I stood rooted in my spot, I didn't even want to think about what Babe would have to say about this. She called all the women on TV coarse if they smoked and said they looked like conquered Road prostitutes. I wonder if you could help us. We seem to be turned around. We're looking for a good place to eat, maybe in the French Quarter. Willie looked up at Grace. Ask her where we can get some good fried shrimp. I rolled my eyes. The woman broke a smile and pulled long on her cigarette. Her teeth had spaces between them. Just go down that-a-ways till you come to Coron Delay and then Giraud. There's a place called the Bonjour Room where we all go for a good plate of seafood. I wondered how she walked around all night in those high hills. Looking in her eyes, I remembered that movie I'd seen about prostitutes in New Orleans living a sad life when love had gone wrong. It had Lawrence Harvey in it, too, and a man with no legs who rode around on a cart like mechanics used to wheel themselves up under a car. I knew bad things happened to people and that crippled man had turned mean from it. I looked down the street about half expecting to see that legless man rolling down the road using his pastry cutters. That's the kind of thing New Orleans conjured up for me. It seemed like An anything-goes kind of place. Grace thanked her, and the prostitute looked right through Grace at me. Her tight blouse revealed an ample decolletage. The material was a black-and-white print with funny-looking people, holding cocktail glasses and laughing. She'd caught me looking at her and returned with a cold glare. She reminded me of Wanda. Wanda used to tell us about her honeymoon night with her first husband, Valjean. They had gone all the way to New Orleans, but had spent the whole time in the motel. She liked to talk about the sex part a lot. I was irritated. I can't believe we're going to a whore place. Grace looked over at me. Young lady, you should watch your mouth. I could still smell the cigarette smoke. The prostitute didn't resemble the one in the movie Cappuccino. She pronounced it Cappuccino, though, not like the coffee drink. I turned around once more to look at the real prostitute. She looked back at me and blew smoke out of her nostrils. There was not one customer in sight. Our stomachs were full of the fried shrimp. It felt good to eat the food, and the lady had been right. The meal was delicious, and I'd cleaned my plate. It made me a little sad. The seafood reminded me of my grandparents, Woody and Babe. Woody always made fried shrimp caught right out of the Gulf on Saturday nights. Nobody's shrimp tasted better than Woody's. He had a secret recipe that used hand ground saltines and egg. That was gone now and all I had left was this memory, clear and painful to think about. I could still smell the egg and fried shrimp in my mind. I turned around and took in one last look at New Orleans. I made myself a mental note to learn how to make a proper gumbo. I would remember the flavor of this town and incorporate its spirit into my roux. Wanda had told us that a good roux was the secret to a good marriage, that and the sex. She always said the way to a man's heart is through his stomach and his wiener. We heard the announcer making a last call for Jackson, and I had to run to catch the bus. I jumped on first so I could keep the vessel from taking off without us. A new driver sat behind the wheel. Come on, y'all. He sounded bored and tired. I wondered what had happened to Earl Holloman. The new man was gray-haired and packed tight into his uniform like a boudin sausage. I bet that he was a sourpuss from driving all those all-night runs. There was another straggler behind us who had almost missed the departure. Come on, son, this old dog's paid to run. The driver just kept staring out the front window and not even looking at the man. We rode through the night. Even though I'd just eaten the big meal, I couldn't sleep and kept watch out the window. What was I looking for in those woods? My imagination came alive and I pictured Temple Drake running from Eve Montan in the dark. The other passengers slept, and you could hear them snoring as we drove through a thousand towns. Grace, Willie, and I were the only ones left from Beaumont. The others must have disembarked in New Orleans. Only one other couple remained awake, and they were engaged in heavy-duty making out. They had been practically swallowing each other ever since they boarded. Willie had asked why they were so caught up with one another, and Grace had told her, Any old port in a storm without lifting her eyes from her magazine. My mind roamed, and I started to remember sad things like leaving Gypsy. I missed my dog. It had hurt to leave her with the neighbors, but I knew it was for the best. Grace had told me it was part of growing up, and I was almost an adult now. Saying goodbye to Gypsy had closed the last chapter of my childhood. I let myself think about her little gray face and her curly fur. I would never get that back. I had traded her for empty New Orleans streets and some unknown destination where we were headed. I thought about her warm little body and how I'd hug her and bury all my sadness there. I shoved Gypsy's memory way down deep inside like when I'd push her away so I could finish reading my book. I was tired of riding on the bus and sick of the smells from the rotten food that had gotten trapped in corners missed by the cleaners. I was sick of all the body odors. First light was about to break and caught off the green gold fields as we passed. They were probably only weeds, but from the bus they looked like magic and the sun's promise. Dilapidated shacks dotted the landscape. A sign that read, Jackson, 50 miles, broke the panorama. I saw a shotgun shack with several ragtag children chasing a rooster across a beat-down dirt yard. One of them stopped and waved at the bus. He began to run as if he might catch us. He ran and ran and ran. I watched him out of the window until he finally vanished like a mirage and there was nothing there. Only the past.